0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Meteora Meets, where we speak to all sorts of people who work within sound and music. On the show this time we have Fiona Bryce, who is an amazingly talented human being, who's not only a singer, a violinist and an orchestral arranger, she's also played and collaborated with a number of huge artists, including John Grant, Anna Calvi, Kelly Jones, uh, Kanye West, Jay-Z, the list really does go on there. Um, she toured with Placebo for over 10 years and uh, has also released her own solo material, Postcards From, on Bella Union and has a follow-up album coming out next year. I really appreciate all the support from everyone. Uh, Really, um, yeah, if you want to support the podcast, you can do that by uh, liking and sharing and commenting. Uh, You can also donate via PayPal or via Ko-fi if you like. But enough of that, let's get on with the show. The first thing that I asked Fiona was about her musical beginnings. They
1: are, well, it's quite distinctive actually. I. Like the really earliest memory is I had one of those um, little, uh, this like, this little toy thing, you pull a string and it used to play a nursery rhyme. And it played like Brahms lullaby. And I obviously I used to listen to that to go to sleep when I was really, really young. So I, that's just like ingrained in there somewhere. But when I was about four, my mum my gave me a um, cassette recorder that you could record on. She was an audio secretary. And she gave me a cassette recorder and I just used to play with this thing and it had a microphone. And so like when I was really, really young, I I started recording my voice and hearing and making noises and little songs and stuff. And that's before I played an instrument. So that was like my first uh, experience with audio, I suppose. And then I, I just got into music at school, you know, the stuff that was offered like recorder um whatever they were offering really violin teacher came around to the village school and said would anyone like to play the violin so I, I I didn't really it's weird it's like I didn't really know it's not like he said would you like to play violin or any of the other instruments it was just there was a violin going so I I, I thought I'd have a go at that and um and then we got a piano in the house because some friends were moving and they didn't have anywhere else to put it so it's like it all kind of happens by chance you know but I I um that was my experience of like physical playing instruments and stuff. But in terms of what was being played in the house, mum and dad had fairly sort of mainstream tastes. I'd say, you know, Beatles, ABBA was a big thing in the house. Um, but my dad also listened to quite a lot of classical music. There was normally, he also had quite a lot of vinyl, my dad, quite a lot of singles. So there was, there was always records in the house, but they weren't massive music lovers. Um, but yeah, ABBA, Beatles for sure. Um, and then just this weird collection of, of of records that my dad would play, like um, Jerry Lee Lewis sometimes, and then just you know, like fifties. He liked he liked a lot of Chuck Berry, that kind of thing. It very, I think eclectic is definitely the the word to sum it up. Um, mm. And my dad used to make tapes from, so he bought he'd borrow all these singles, vinyl singles from his mates, and then he'd make cassettes. Like we used to do mixtapes off the radio, you know, and and um, so I, he he had this one in particular that he made. It was a double cassette, and he called it Odds Modern which is a title I intend to use for a record. So, And it was just the weirdest combination of songs. I mean, I look back on it and it was just like, it was. there was stuff on there like, um, oh, know, there was Adam and the Ants, there was Kim Wilde, um, there was Richard Harris, MacArthur Park. Like, that's a crazy song. Mm-hmm. Kirstie McColl, there's a guy who works down the chip shop, claims he's Elvis. Like, these weird, quirky songs that my dad obviously picked up on. And um, So I, I used to listen to these tapes. Like, they were... equivalent of like now eight or now you know it was like they were my compilations i used to listen to so i've got got to thank my thank my dad for that in a way because it was a yeah very very obscure collection of songs but then if i hear one of those songs now i'm like oh wow that was on my mixtape when i was you know six (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: yeah it's amazing having those those like homemade mixed collections
1: well yeah no one else had it and I. And I guess I didn't realise that at the time. I just thought that was a, you know, (laughs) I thought everyone was listening to that. They definitely weren't. (laughs)
0: Like if you're in a relationship and you send each other like CDs that you'd burnt or like mixtapes, like at the time, those things are pretty naff and you're like, oh, you know, I like some of those tracks, some of them are rubbish. But like, I think looking back on them, sometimes you're like, oh, that's such an amazing thing that we actually bothered to do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It took time. It really took time. And, and um, I mean, and even, I mean, I think the last Someone made me a CD, one of those, uh, when I started dating them a little a while ago. this is probably like 2007, I'd say. That's the last time anyone made me a mixtape. I mean, I guess, I guess now it's what a playlist? Share a playlist? It's yeah. Not, not quite as cool. You can't do the artwork and stuff. Exactly. You used to yeah. draw,
0: like doodle all over the case, especially yeah. if you're like <laughs> posting it to somebody who's through a long way away. They get a letter. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, it is amazing how many of the people that I spoke to had that tape recorder as a thing that kicked off their music career. Yeah, like a, an unbelievable connection between guests, um, having that um, one unit with a finite amount of recording time.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think for me, it was just that thing of being able to instantly capture an idea on a cassette, even though it was a dumb song that I was singing when I was a child. I knew that was possible you know I can capture an idea I mean I wish I still did it actually I, I guess I work in different ways now but I mean all through my all through my early years even up to teenage years I used to have two cassettes I used to, once I started writing songs at the piano I used to have two cassette recorders because I so I could multi-track so I'd record on one cassette recorder I mean obviously the audio quality was terrible but I could get all my ideas down and then later I got a Tascam like a four track uh what was it called 424, I think and then I started getting into actually doing it a bit more you know a bit more properly mm. <laughs> working out that you could bounce bounce things down and that kind of thing um but yeah it was something there's something really nice about the kind of the analog quality of that i miss that a little bit i'm not such such a fan of digital
0: <laughs> yeah I, I i do you record i mean it- like in situations now, do you do you record onto your phone? Do you have something that you can record little ideas onto? Oh yeah,
1: I mean, I I use I use just voice memos. If I'm just say if I'm just playing the piano and you know, you just suddenly get an idea, then that's obviously it's the most instant way you can do It's just quickly record it and then and then go back to it later when you need to. And I use Logic, and I I write all the orchestration, and everything that I do is in Sibelius. I, you know, there's multiple ways to capture ideas really, hmm. but I just feel like the tactile way was more fun somehow. <laughs> You know, just the basic cassette recorder just felt really concrete somehow. And, um, yeah, digital stuff, files get lost. I don't know. I I, I feel like it's all a bit uh, transient.
0: Yeah, well, it's really interesting you said that because um, on the previous interview, I spoke to a man called Tim Wright, who did the soundtrack to the Wipeout video games. And he was also a video game programmer in, like, the heyday uh, of, like, the mid-90s of, like, the PlayStation era, the first... Uh uh, big console that came into the mass market yeah yeah and he was saying about that transientness of, of digital and he was saying that really the, the analog stuff is the real stuff like photographs he was yeah. it's funny like someone who's grown up with programming computers was not advocating backing up onto a hard drive he was advocating, right. like, <laughs> having it there because that can't just like disappear
1: exactly there is and 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 it's about ownership as well you know i mean it's it's like the fact that we don't own our music libraries anymore you know we we kind of rent music nowadays we don't own it as opposed to you know vinyl and you know the physical product i mean it's it's just an ongoing thing where i feel like we're constantly renting our lives we're not we're not you know you can't i mean maybe that's good in terms of we don't we we don't all need collections of stuff (laughs) it's just landfill isn't it but but yeah Moving yeah
0: it's a nightmare when you've got loads of vinyl or exactly uh, yeah cds it's heavy
1: <laughs> it's heavy exactly and and space is you know and if especially if you've lived in london for any period of time you suddenly realize that you can't even afford that space but um mm. it's yeah I, I don't know i i, I worry it's, it's the ownership thing that bugs me the fact that i don't genuinely own some of the stuff that i've paid for
0: yeah, that's that's true. That's true. And did you go? Um, did you go into like formal training with with those instruments yeah. you listed?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I did. I did all the uh, orchestral training as a, a sort of like a county youth orchestra stuff when I was a kid, and then I went to the Royal Academy of Music and I did formal uh, Royal Academy in King's College London. and um, So obviously, I did formal violin um, conservatoire training and orchestral. I, I majored in composition. So yeah, very much a formal. Music education. It's a pet, right? But where you you quite often see, I don't know, in people's press releases for, especially people in pop, they're also like, you know, classically trained so and so. And you're like, grade five on the piano is not classically trained. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) <laughs> it's just there's a lot more work to be done you know
0: <laughs> yeah there's a bit of a buzz a buzz phrase it's a bit people like people say when... it
1: all the time it's like oh can you play a chord on guitar can you play anything on a on a piano well, oh classically trained you know so like you've had a lesson <laughs>
0: once yeah.
1: and I just feel I don't know I'm just being a snob about it but you know I, I put I put a lot of work in uh <laughs> so um yeah it just that, that phrase bugs me a bit but um and, and I also think... the Irish. The irony is that you then finish your classical training, and if you go on to work with rock bands and stuff, you have to unlearn unlearn a whole load of stuff as well. You know, but that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? No know, know the rules, then break the rules. That's the
0: definitely you know. definitely. It's um. It, I, I read I read that you sort of said that that was in some way creatively stifling some of that um, university. That yeah,
1: for sure, for sure. Yeah. Because I, because basically, I I as a teenager, I was really into songwriting, even though I was playing classical violin I was playing Shostakovich and Bach and stuff on the violin but I was listening to Prince and Blondie and, and Velvet Underground and Transvision Vamp and I just to me the, the there wasn't a massive divide between those two things because in my brain it, it all made sense all those you know musical artists coming together but um obviously when I went on to do university training they weren't interested in Prince Blondie and Bowie and you know, and I, and, I felt like, and they weren't very interested in me songwriting. They were very interested in me studying a Bach chorale. And uh, yeah, I, ju- I was just a bit like, oh, hold on. This is really, it's like, you know, some serious pigeonholing going on. It's like, well, my, there's my learning of music, but then there's my my creative side is saying, but this is all valid. This is all valid. If I want to write a violin duet for, uh, and record it on a Tascam and play with the sound, to me, that's a valid composition. And, and in the environment that I happen to be in, um, in the Academy in King's, at the time, they weren't really very interested in that. You know, it wasn't a sound design course. It wasn't, it was, it was straight classical. So I, I did feel that, um, and I know I'm not the only one to feel this. I did, I did feel like it was kind of disappointing. I mean, the, the quality of education I got obviously wasn't disappointing, but the, it it wasn't a creative time for me. It, it, it was just hard work, you know. Yeah.
0: That is another, that is another thread that runs through a lot of my interviews, um, in terms of people who have, had uh, you know formal training and stuff, and saying that that formal training sort of didn't, or not that it didn't help them, but there are elements of it, and there were structures to it that that actually, you know, yeah, didn't help, didn't help creativity, which is an odd thing, isn't it?
1: I think um, I've understood it a bit more, you know, in later life. It's like when you're when you're studying the violin, it's a or the piano or whatever. It's a highly technical. You know, you're being trained to a very high technical level, and what you're doing. And that is a slightly different skill to being creative. So, so being highly proficient on a classical instrument is one thing. I've got plenty of um, classical musician friends who are incredible performers, but they don't write a note. They don't write it. They don't. It's just not their thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a slightly different part of the brain. Mm. So, you know, I get it. It's like I was being trained, trained to a high level, uh, which obviously I've benefited from and that's helped me a lot. But um, yeah, my my own sort of whimsical composition interests had to go slightly to one side (laughs) whilst that was all happening. And I guess I hadn't, I didn't realise that's what I'd signed up for until I was in the middle of it, but yeah, Yeah. not, not an unusual experience. And then a lot of people that went to music college had, had a similar kind of thing. It's, you know, it's, there's an aspect of beating the personality out of you (laughs) as much as there is (laughs) about, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of want you to conform to a degree. So um, yeah. yeah.
0: Some people like thrive in that environment. Some people are, yeah, and
1: other uh, people just cannot take it. I mean, plenty of people leave. You know, some for some people they they do a year and just they're like, nope. <laughs> yeah,
0: I this is I wrong. Mean, obviously, this interview isn't about me at all. But I did, I I didn't go to my graduation at uni because I was just like, I did, I did music tech, which is obviously like a <laughs> bit of a naff subject, really. But um, I didn't go to my graduation because I was like, "Fuck you all," because I didn't feel like that was. I felt I was like creatively stifled uh, in, yeah. in that respect. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, and also in terms of um, classically trained, I think in the music tech world, uh, industry standard is a thing that. People, yeah, put in yeah, software. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is yeah. industry standard software. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. What does that mean? It just yeah. means that like you thought that sounds good. So you just tag it on the end of your product. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Industry funny. standards means like at least two other people are using this. Yes. <laughs> like- exactly.
0: Yeah. What happened when you when you left the Royal Academy of Music? Did you I mean, was there I, did you have like a plan? Did you have like a vision for where you wanted to be?
1: I was pretty naive. I didn't. I mean, I, I knew, you know, I, I'd, I'd written music and perform music since I was a tiny kid. I had no idea how that would be a job. I just didn't. I, I, and this is another thing about the music colleges. And I'm sure they're a little better now, but there was very little vocational training, you know. (laughs) Um, so I, I left, I left uni, I stayed living in London and it was like, shit, this is expensive. I can't, you know, living in London. Uh, and I wanted to stay living in London because all the time I've been at university, I'd started playing with bands, um, in the evenings and, and, you know, starting to really get into a little bit of a scene, really enjoying it. But I mean, it wasn't earning me any money at the time. So i just i I sort of panicked really i just went straight into like temp jobs um i did loads of office work i i and then in the evenings i'd go and do gigs and then i very and then I, i was very I mean, I'm, I'm sort of. I look back on my my sort of twenties, and I'm quite proud of myself for making this happen because I really tried to find opportunities. I wrote to fixers, I, I sent photos, I, you know, this. I, I just did. It, I sent my CV all over the place. I just really tried to to get work, and in the end, I I did get picked up by one of the um, sort of the fixers that books for TV and pop bands and stuff, and um, and that introduced me to sort of a level of professional music work, and also a a whole circuit of other musicians who were doing session work and um that really that really helped me because I felt like I was getting somewhere you know (laughs) Uh, I was playing on top of the pops and stuff it was exciting oh that's Um, cool can you just explain
0: what a fixer is because
1: oh okay so (laughs) a fixer is someone I guess people this is a question people ask me this quite often they're like do you have an agent and it's yeah orchestral musicians are booked by fixers a fixer is someone that basically books freelance musicians for a specific gig and the lineup changes all the time. So um a fixer might and they take a percentage not off your fee but they take a percentage they 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 add a percentage on top. And so the record company or or the band or whatever will say like oh god we need eight strings and 12 brass for this thing. Uh we'll call the fixer they'll sort it out, you know. So it's it's just like a point of contact. Someone that knows the players and understands the job. And the and, and there's a couple of there's a lot of people that do this on an ad hoc basis so like I fix I fix the musicians for the for the um, orchestral sessions that I write just because I've got a great uh pool of musicians that I enjoy working with so I like yeah. I like phoning them up and saying hey I've got a gig for you but um I could outsource that to a fixer who would just bring in you know a bunch of session players maybe some of whom I've never met before and, and they'd all be excellent I'm sure and we but uh, yeah, so a, a fixer is is it's mostly it's not 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 just restricted to classical, but it comes from the classical world.
0: That's incredible. Um, because um, yeah. thank you for explaining that. that's was, I was <laughs> really really um, uh, can see how they've got a, a purpose in in orchestral music. Like to me, a fixer is someone who like works in the criminal underworld.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bridge well, between yeah. like the
0: drug dealers and the police. <laughs> and, like, and like you know, when when people go abroad and they and they like shoot um shoot a documentary and there's like dodgy tribes around, they need a fixer to like barter with them. So I never knew this was happening. <laughs> yeah, also yeah. In the it's, world.
1: it's it's definitely a middleman or woman. You know, it's a. <laughs> But no, I mean I mean good fixes, in my opinion, good fixers really understand. they'll book according to the music. So like if you're booking a, if you're booking an orchestra to do a film score, you need a certain caliber of playing. A player, if you're booking people to do a TV mime, it's going to be more appearance based. and, and so you know there, there's uh, there's a lot of different uh, aspects to the job, I suppose. Um, and also music is one of these industries where you can still be booked according to your appearance which is you know in the, in the modern world is a bit uh old hat really isn't it it's like you it shouldn't really be judged on your appearance but Unfortunately, a lot of that still goes on. <laughs> yeah,
0: it sort of reminds <laughs> you of the nineteen seventies, but then you realize its oh, still happening.
1: It's still <laughs> happening on a daily basis. Yeah, and the other thing with fixers is is that they can, you know, if you if you get on well with a certain fixer, they, they'll offer you work all the time, which is fantastic, uh, um, and that's great, and you feel like you're sort of in with a pool of players. But if you piss off a fixer, uh, you're done. You know, <laughs> so, like in the so, um, of <laughs> uh, Yeah, right. So uh, you know, they they they, they hold some sway. (laughs)
0: that's amazing that's amazing yeah I think um you know you've had such a you've got such a broad range of things that you've done um in researching a lot of my interviews it's been um you know i've seen i've heard someone's music or i've seen what they've done and i've liked it and then i've delved a bit deeper and discovered things but when i've been researching your career it's been like such a wonderland of like new things (laughs) Um, yeah i I have done a lot
1: of diverse stuff yeah it's true it's really hard in terms of if anyone asks me for a cv it's just (laughs) fuck fuck, which CV do they want? Do they want the, you know, the orchestral composition one or do they want the performance one or do they want the, and it, you know, it's it's a, and, and that's actually something that's that's gone against me occasionally where people people don't know what pigeonhole to put me in. And I, and, you know, as much as that's frustrating, um, I get it. Some people see me as a violinist. Some people think about me, about me as a, you know, a solo artist. Other people think I'm just an orchestra and arranger that works with other people or a session player, you know, and actually I'm all of these things. Um, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I did see um, just going on from that. I did hear you. You wrote somewhere that you're a bit of a misfit. Yeah. You thought, fuck it. That's just who I am. I just want to prefix or suffix that by saying, like, I 100 percent know how you feel, you know, like I'm not saying that that's a weird feeling. I think we maybe. be. Um, yeah, it's cool that you felt like that. You know, you could do a lot of different things.
1: Yes, exactly. And I and for a while, like I remember, I don't know, earlier in my career, I was doing some songwriting stuff and people were like, well, yeah, but you're known, you're known for doing orchestral arrangements, you know, you should probably stick to that. And it's like, why? That's what that's only one aspect of my musical output. I mean, yeah, it's one I'm good at, but I mean, I I see it a bit like, I'm not, this is going to sound wanky because it sounds like I'm comparing myself to Picasso, but it's only because he was a very diverse (laughs) artist. It's like, you know, yeah, Picasso is really famous for his paintings, but he also did like ceramics. Now you may not like his ceramics as much as his paintings, but he felt the need to do that, you know, and he has every artistic right to do that. And so that's kind of how I feel about, well, if I want to do an electronics album, I'll I'll do that. I mean, I haven't yet, but, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's got to come from me. Otherwise who am I trying to please you know it's uh,
0: yeah I think if you're proficient at a lot of different things then it's it's like absolutely great to do a lot of different things you know like um doing a diverse range of things is is fun and and challenging isn't it um yeah and
1: you learn you learn everything every album every so like at the moment I've got so I've I've got a new album that will be out on Bella Union next year which I'm extremely excited about and it was a lot of hard work and You know, there's a bit of a delay in vinyl production stuff at the moment, but um, otherwise, I'd have it out sooner because I'm just like, I just, (laughs) I want people to hear it.
0: Is it finished? Like, is it? Yeah, it's done. Yeah, yeah, it's been delivered.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's finished, mastered, got the artwork. Um, It's yeah, it's like I said, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm ready to go, but, but because of COVID and Brexit and everything, everything's just delayed at the moment. So, it's like bands are just like in this kind of weird holding pattern, waiting for vinyl production to, to. Step up and uh, yeah, I think Gary you being able, able to tour, yeah, everyone's Gary a Neume's lot of people are in the same boat.
0: Like five six months uh, yeah. earlier this year,
1: yeah. So it's frustrating, but I but I know you know it will happen, so that's fine. So that's coming, that's coming out next year. But at the same time, I've recorded, I wrote some piano preludes in lockdown to keep myself busy because I you know couldn't leave the house, um and I've recorded those. So they're gonna, I'll do those as a self release on Bank just because. They don't need a massive, really, you know, I'm not expecting a label necessarily to be interested in those. They might, but, um, and then I've also done an album with a a colleague where we we went and recorded, when we were allowed to go into buildings again, we went into the Swiss church in Covent Garden and we recorded a site-specific, it's like a... um, site-specific recording where the 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 church has a particularly crazy uh, delay. It's like a twelve-second delay oh, wow. in quite a small. It's insane. It's it's a it's a weird anomaly of the building. I don't think they wanted to design it like that, but um, <laughs> it's like you you're playing the violin in there and it sounds like Cologne Cathedral. But nice. Um, we we chose to use that, and so we recorded a whole album in a in a few days, just using a grand piano, violin, some electronics like a cool synthesizer and stuff, just in this one space. And I mean, that sounds to me, it sounds amazing because it, it it's so because we did it quickly and we did it in that particular space. It has that real feeling of I can when I listen to it, I can, I'm back in that room, you know, I'm back in that room in August in London. Uh, and and yeah, that's I don't know. Again, it's a, it's a different thing again.
0: Yeah, I love the sound of those and the feeling of those places. You know, oh, when you go to a church and you hear a choir and it's like the sound is everywhere. It's really weird. Yeah. You can see why people get sort of encapsulated by those experiences
1: exactly it's just you can hear the room you know and that's important and that's something that people I think people forget in contemporary recording a lot of the time but um uh yeah so the so so like yeah in the next year I've got that's three different albums coming out and uh they're all very different and I don't necessarily expect people to like all of them or to even connect me with all of them you know the the one that's recorded in the church will come out under a different name the piano one will be a self-release The um. Bella Union one will obviously be the sort of the flagship, you know, big LP. But um, yeah, why not? Why not do all of those things? You know, as long yeah, as they don't, brilliant. I'm not treading on anyone else's toes. I'm not Bella. Bella won't mind me releasing a piano album. You know, it's just you got to make you got to keep talking to people and make sure no, one, you're not messing up any release schedules. But um, yeah, I just I, I just have to keep doing stuff like that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And I really admire your outlook on on like your expectations of those going out. You know, like that's a really really nice way of looking at it
1: yeah i mean i think like the band camp i wish i would got into band camp a bit sooner um because i like the potential of it and i like the immediate connection that you have with with people um but it's you it, for me it's useful for some for some things you know what i mean and you and the, and the immediacy of it you can release i can release something tomorrow if i want that's fine like, i mean all of it will ultimately end up on spotify or wherever anyway so um but yeah i just feel like there's a lot of different avenues now for releasing music and you just need to gauge which route to take with which album.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I did read an article recently about when Prince had all his troubles with um, Warner Brothers, mm. um, and he was, like, touring with the word slave written on his head yeah. and stuff like that. Um, he changed his name in order to get out. I think that was to get out of his contract. Was that's uh,
1: yeah. why he changed his name? Yeah, well, to be, and also to be able to release under a different name, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. and then he sold an album direct to his fans uh, called Crystal Ball, I think it yeah. was. Um, yeah, yeah. And he made, and he sold like hundreds of thousands of copies of this direct to fans sale. And um, yeah, I was reading about it like uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I just thought that's really forward thinking to have done that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. But then again, he had a massive fan base to sell to. I mean, this is the thing, you know. Like this is the problem. A lot of us, are, a lot of independent artists, or sort of like medium level artists, are, are just kind of like you, you can't. It's very hard to make yourself seen or heard. You know, everyone's shouting um and and you you sort of yeah this is kind of like sea of mediocrity which I'm (laughs) trying not to be part of but it's that (laughs) it's just I don't know it's very hard to to without a massive marketing budget or you know it's very hard to make your voice heard I think harder than ever really which is ironic because there's so many different ways to be heard but it's it's just harder
0: they're all just sort of rooms of people that are all shouting, isn't it? It's like, which it feels room like people that. shouting should I walk into and shout? Yeah, exactly. i
1: <laughs> shout at Facebook today. Hey, look, I've done a thing.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I do have a friend um, of mine uh, who's really, who makes hardware, like makes MIDI hardware, and um, he's, he's really, really talented, and he's like a creative waterfall of a human constantly, just thinking of great ideas, and his philosophy is like, I don't need to advertise it I don't want to advertise it I'm not going to shout about it it's good and if people find it then you know that's how he sells it he sells it he doesn't like he's doing the opposite to that and I really like that approach
1: no I, I admire that too but it's like can they find it I think that's the problem for me it's like I struggle to find music that I like sometimes you know because there's just there's just this avalanche of stuff coming out and and I, I just i don't know how people have the time to listen to everything i just you know i feel fairly yeah. overwhelmed by the m- amount of music that gets released every friday or whenever it's like there's stuff i'm genuinely interested in and i don't know when that when i'm gonna be able to get around to listening to it um i'm normally like six months late with stuff i've so I, you know i'll discover something months after everyone else has noticed that it's good yeah <laughs> 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 i'm um... doing those things
0: <laughs> um... <laughs> shall we talk maybe let's talk a bit about placebo um yeah sure yeah. Of them for for a fair for a fair while a decade um, yeah a decade wow mm. i mean that's incredible <laughs> such an amazing band especially with their just being known for their sort of uh, commentary on sexuality, on mental health, and drug use as well, it's oh, like yeah. an admirable thing to be open about in song. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I read that you were sort of uh, I, uh, how can I put it? Where is it? You were you were you knew them before? Uh, you knew them sort of socially beforehand.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, I've known I've known Brian and Steph since since the mid nineties. So when I was at university in London. Um, And I said I'd started playing with bands, some of the bands that I played with then, we we were all kind of going to the same clubs and, you know, going to the same gigs. There's quite a big alternative rock scene Um, and placebo were, were, you know, in, in that circle. And we used to see them at gigs and stuff, and then suddenly they vanished. And it's like, man, we never see those guys anymore. And it's like, well, because they've just got really famous and they're they're on a world tour. You know, <laughs> we're, not, we're probably not going to see them for two years now. Um, but yeah, I used to play in a band called Dream City Film Club, which is um, the lead singer was uh, Michael Sheehy, and he's still still an artist I work with now. Um, and they were signed to Beggar's Banquet at the time, and we used to do gigs all in and around London and Europe and you know it was my first introduction to the touring life and uh and sort of sweaty rock gigs (laughs) but yeah I've known known Brian and Steph and the previous drummer Steve Hewitt uh forward from all around that time yeah we always we were never like we were never like best mates but we always got on you know and then I think they were they were aware that I as they were off you know off touring I started playing with more and more bands and and then we kind of we we got back together on the meds album when they I'd started doing orchestrations by that time and they got in touch with me and said would you like to come and do some orchestrations with us you know and really that was in 2005 or 6 or something like that, and and, I, and then I was working with them ever since I actually was I actually saw them last week so um <laughs> yeah so it's very long I've describe described it as a, a long and open relationship <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh so were you like when they when they first got you on board did they like have an idea of what they wanted you to do like how did you get involved what were you doing vaguely with
1: so so yeah the first the so first kind of like first official thing we did was the meds album so i did string arrangements for them on on several tracks and the producer was dimitri tigaroy on that which is someone who's worked on my my new album and uh they, they 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 knew they wanted some strings they they weren't sure necessarily what they wanted the strings to do um so I do what I always do which is mock up some little demos and chuck some ideas at the, at the tracks and say how about this and is this going to work for you and then when everyone's agreed the arrangement then we go in and do the string session and that went that was pretty good that went well um I think it was the first time they had strings on any of their records and then a couple of years later they called me up they were asked to do a very special gig in um, Cambodia for MTV Exit which was a anti-sex trade, you know, like a campaign against, a charity campaign against um, sexual slavery and stuff. And -hmm. it was like a a gig over at um, Anchor Wat Temple to, I'm never quite sure how these things work. And I got to, MTV, you know, I always think, well, all the money it costs to take us over there, maybe we should have just given that to the charity. But anyway, um, (laughs) it's it's an unfashionable view in the industry. But um, yeah, we went over to do this incredibly stunning, live performance in front of anchor Wat temple and a very very limited live audience and it was it released as a dvd and stuff and that was and my first gig with them was playing electric violin and and uh i don't think i played keys did some backing vocals and stuff it was a pretty pretty major gig to go and do as your first
0: <laughs> first yeah.
1: gig but um it was great i mean it was an absolutely incredible experience and and uh, we i think we all felt it was very good and then and, and then they asked me. Like I think about a, a year later, they said, "Okay, we're going to tour. Would you like to come and tour?" I think I'd done strings on the next record as well by then, so my time timeline gets a bit out of, out of focus. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. so so basically after that Anchor Watt gig, they asked me to be sort of more 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 formally in the in the band. I've never been in the band contractually. Uh, I've always been a session musician, but um, yeah, I was very much in the band on stage.
0: Yeah. What an incredible experience that must have been. I yeah, mean, even absolutely. that first gig, uh, absolutely mind blowing. But like to to be with them for ten years touring.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's well. pretty pretty wild. I mean, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know at the time I was signing up for ten years of touring. I but, <laughs> but um, the first the first tour, the first time I saw the tour schedule, I would just never seen anything like it. It's a world tour. I mean, it's basically two years of your life, and just the list of dates i i just remember thinking fuck how am i gonna how am i gonna even be well for all of those do you know what i mean it's like what the chances of it was i don't know i was very scared of flying at the time as well and i just kept looking at it and and it was just looking at all the flights it was like australia south america japan and and just thinking holy shit can i do it you know
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: Uh, and it turns out, yeah, I can do it. But um, it was, a, yeah, it's a major, it was a major event, major life event.
0: <laughs> Definitely. And do you have any sort of uh, mindset or or ritual for live performances? Maybe one that, is there something, is there a way of doing it that you developed?
1: Yeah, I'd say, and it, it's circumstantial really, but yeah, I I mean, I nearly, nearly always, I'd say 99% of the time I have a classical violin with me, even if even if I'm not playing classical violin on stage um, and I always warm up practice before before going on stage I might do half an hour to an hour of of classical practice Um, even if the stuff I'm playing on stage is is not that complicated you know but it's just for, for my mindset it gets me into a certain zone sort of focus and concentration and then there's also the sort of the hour before you go on stage just just a sort of doing a hair and makeup moment um which which again is a, for me it's like getting your sort of stage face on and that's that's a, a a good good time to focus um sort of get yourself in the in the mood so yeah violin practice and and the and the getting ready thing mm. um i do quite a lot of yoga these days as well which helped me i, I which i realized was helping me I, I guess um just be a bit more grounded i don't always do that before a gig but um yeah yeah, the violin practice is kind of crucial. I think it just, um, I feel really strange walking on stage and picking up an instrument if I haven't touched an instrument. I mean, it's, I feel like it's kind of insulting to the audience, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I haven't done this all day, but hey, let's just do this in front of 10,000 people. Um, yeah,
0: just get handed it by a stage hand Yeah, like exactly. Before I mean, you come exactly.
1: In. Yeah, for me, that's not, I am not in the right frame of mind if that happens. <laughs>
0: uh. That's cool. Um, um, yeah, I did read on your blog that you said um, it was very rare that you ever spent sort of five days at home in a row yeah, from touring. Yeah. That that must be, um, yeah, how do you, how do you like look after yourself on tour? Like what do you do to make sure you're in a good, in a good place?
1: Well, on the placebo tour, we, we actually, we, we had a rule that we didn't drink before shows. We didn't drink during shows, which, which initially I thought was, like, oh, my God, this is pretty dogmatic. I wasn't expecting that. But having done 10 years, I'm pretty pleased that we we, we, we chose that because, um, yeah, I think you can really fuck yourself up <laughs> or, or just get yourself into a position of being pretty alcohol dependent when you go on stage, which isn't isn't great. Yeah. Um, and, and like nowadays, with, with other artists, so like with John Grant, for example, John doesn't drink, so, you know, it would be unusual for me to have a drink if, if I went on stage with John. Why, You know, you, you kind of want to be in the same zone. Mm, mm, as the people you're on stage with but then other other artists I work with like so I just you know the elbow to the guys the guys love a drink beforehand so I'll have you know so have a drink with those guys That's great um but yeah I don't know it's just that everyone's got different ways of dealing with the performance pressure and actually it was pretty good much much as it sometimes felt quite annoying it was pretty good training to do the placebo stuff sober because some of those gigs are extremely high profile and to be able to just do that, you know, without any dependence on, on anything. I think it's probably the right way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, long term.
0: Yeah, long term. Exactly. You know. And taking I mean, it uh, take it, like looking at it from a professional point of view, which yeah. it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, most like... people don't drink at work, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, but in music, obviously you can. And and as I said, I I don't like anyone telling me what to do, but that, but that was. I think looking back at it, I think it was probably positive for my health. Certainly that that I didn't do that. I mean, obviously we had some lights out, you know. <laughs> I'm not. It wasn't boring, <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, it, it's just. Uh, I don't know. It, I'm I'm pleased looking back that that we did that.
0: That's really admirable. Mm. I'm someone who doesn't drink, so I can mm-hmm. I, I I like define that even more admirable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also having seen gigs. Where people are really fucking pissed on stage, and they're just not as good. They're not as maybe, good. Yeah, they just don't realise it, and they think oh. that they've. I've seen some really high-profile people playing, like well, yeah, mainly. I I, I can probably recognise synth players if they're not being a bit shit. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a few people i have just been like, you, you're not even being able to walk to get to that thing, and then to go back over there. It's just like a lacklustre thing, and like if you're in a band yeah. like placebo, like you say, a high-profile thing professional if you want to maintain that integrity and that quality for a career that's well like if you want to maintain very- it for like
1: a two two and a half hour set you know i mean it's <laughs> like you t- i mean just on a practical level like even if you go on stage at a good buzz level you're either going to slip into fatigue or or need to drink more to get through you know i mean it's like yeah. you can't maintain that for 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 uh for the length of time required for the set um and also there's there's a lot of energy there's a lot of adrenaline rushing around your system as well so you're never quite sure which way it's going to go I don't know I I find yeah the relationship of artists and alcohol I think is quite an interesting one and and um I think that the industry I grew up in was very much one of like have a beer and get on with it and I think that's led to some of my friends having some real issues around alcohol and um yeah, I just don't think the industry helps. It's, obviously, everyone's talking about mental health awareness and stuff these days, you know. But that feels quite new to me. I don't think anyone was very interested in my mental health, or, you know, <laughs> when I was starting out. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. interested in the they're interested in the show happening, um, <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, yeah. And I and I have struggled with anxiety and stuff on stage. And sometimes you just think, oh God, if I could just have a beer, that would really probably help me out right now. But um, there's just other yeah that's there's just sometimes that's the way to deal with it other times
0: it's not definitely definitely yeah I guess there's no sort of um one rule one rule fits all sort of scenario um but yeah um can you maybe just share some like salient moments of those times touring with placebo like um placebo for a lot of people I think is just like one of the bands that they really connect to and it would be great to hear some of your some of the salient moments throughout those years
1: Gosh, I think um, we toured what well, a lot of it was to do with the, the places we went where, where bands don't normally go. So we toured Siberia for two weeks. Um and there was really this sense, I mean, we really didn't didn't know what to expect from that. And we had security with us, you know. I mean, it's not, it's it's, it's kind of the <laughs> it's fairly uncharted territory for some for bands. Um
0: yeah. <laughs> but
1: we but we um we actually, it was actually an amazing tour, and and what was, I don't know, we just it, it, it was just seeing the connection with the audience. It was a younger audience over there, um, and seeing, you know, they're not spoiled for bands. It's not like doing a gig in London when it, there's a billion great bands you can see every night. You know, you go to somewhere like in Siberia, like Katerinburg or somewhere, Ekaterinburg, and, and there's people that they've been waiting for months to see the gig, and and you know they're incredibly excited and that you feel that in a, even in a kind of stadium environment, you just feel this rush and, 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 you know, perhaps more importantly, when you're dealing with a country that perhaps has a repressive nature to its government, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing the, the release from these, these, they're not all kids, you know, the release from the audience, um, connecting with the message from stage, which they're considering to be extremely brave and, and maybe outspoken and perhaps dangerous. Um, and I would say that Brian, Brian, and, Brian and Stefan in particular haven't shied away from, from that, you know. Um, and we definitely toured, we toured in, in Indonesia as well, into Jakarta, a lot of South America. I mean, just for me, that's that's what marked them out as being a really great live band, I think. that They really understood how to connect. I mean, also, I should I should say, Brian and Stefan both highly intelligent guys, you know, really, really well read, really up on politics, really just, you know, And I I think, yeah, just just going to countries where you don't necessarily agree with the political regime, but you make the decision to do the gig. And some people will be cynical and say, well, you make the decision to do the gig for the money. Yeah, but you make the decision to do the gig because you want to connect with the people that are in that country and you feel it's important. And I really
0: to go there and and play like I have to say I lived in. We played in me.
1: yeah, really. I there for a
0: year, yeah, I taught English in Siberia, so oh, really? I, I can really connect to how it must have felt for the people who are out there to have yeah. a band like Placebo come and play. And yeah. I, yeah, I've 100% seen people who are, um, uh, like in England, I have to say, like in England as well, who don't trust their government, who are, like, sceptical of their government's uh, yeah. motivations, you know, yeah. in this country, as well as in Russia, like, equally, you know, probably so yeah, i can I can really understand how that must have been such an amazing thing, and also like a brave thing for placebo to go there and do it, you know, it's yeah, like I to mean, reach you know the people that need it, you know, who want it,
1: well, particularly Russia, when you consider that they're obviously very openly sexually fluid or gay or depending on who you're talking about in the band, you know what I mean, I mean, that's not popular in Russia right now, you know, um and and it is a statement to go and play there, definitely. I mean you could you could definitely choose not to go you know so yeah I think that I think for me I mean they're, they're, you know we had with, there were a lot of gigs that were just real highlights in terms of just being magical magical gigs but for me it's it was more to do with the kind of the the attitude of the band you know um which I respected a lot I don't ju- I, ju- I just think a lot of people don't they they go to a lot of places a lot of people don't go and and perhaps you know they were they they had a rough ride with the british press in their early career and so they they chose to not necessarily focus on the uk market but to go elsewhere uh where they suddenly found they had massive audiences you know so Mm. um that again it's just smart thinking isn't it it's like well we'll connect over here (laughs) you know with south america
0: But I, I feel like everyone I know in Britain who loves placebo, like really loves placebo. Like if you ever go to a party and oh, you yeah, like they're... placebo, you're going to be talking for like half an hour, 45 minutes. It's just like really such a strong connection they have with their fans. That's very true. Yeah. Opener. The fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the, the fans, uh, a lot of their fans are, they are incredibly loyal, you know, and, and really feel that they have some kind of ownership over the band and they yeah, I mean they have they have like fan clubs all over the world that come and do yeah, it's 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 definitely a a huge community of people and I can see why people need that, you know. Yeah. Oh, Again, okay. it comes back to the misfit thing of like me saying I felt like a misfit well I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know, Ian O'Brien and Stefan Boca would agree with that and and probably felt the same um and I'm sure that a lot of their fans feel that way, you know.
0: 100%. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No, yeah, um amazing. That's amazing. But yeah, I mean Again, we haven't really even scratched the surface because the list of people that you work with is uh <laughs> pretty quite long. <laughs> to be honest, it's like—I um, uh, mean, John. I mean, you mentioned John Grant earlier. He's a lovely human being, an yeah. amazing guy, and and the stuff you've done with him is absolutely fantastic, um, including the BBC Philharmonic performance that you did. Like, that's just a really magical evening.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, obviously, I have a an, an ongoing working relationship with John, and very, and very much an ongoing friendship with John. And um, he, he's a pretty special human being. Um, but from an orchestral point of view, his songs can really can really handle orchestration. Like they're so they're so rich in harmony and melody that there's so much stuff for me to work with as an orchestrator. I can, and we have quite similar tastes in in music particularly in classical music and like film scores and stuff so so i can if john throws an idea out there i can normally take it you know to where he wants it to go or um yeah and, and working with the bbc Phil, Phil you know any of the the major orchestras in the uk i mean they're, they're you know this is high high level performance so it's always going to be a good experience and i love that's one of the favorite bits about my job is when I get I'm I'm the, the communicator between the artist and the orchestra because sometimes artists and orchestras kind of you know they it's a it's a bit of a showdown like they're looking at each other a bit suspiciously you know they cla- uh, not necessarily John in this instance uh, but but some artists are a bit intimidated by the orchestra understandably is a lot yeah. of people a lot of people that. staring at you and a lot of people that are very very highly classically trained and some people are intimidated by that but on the other hand the orchestra is looking at the artist just thinking how do they do what they do i don't know no. you know i couldn't do that so um if if you for, for me my job is to is to bridge that gap and to make them communicate with each other on on a level that that works for everyone you know mm. um and we, and with john that was a really easy thing to do because john is is uh, you know, has, has like classical piano training and stuff anyway. Um, he also has an, a, a wonderful sense of humor and the musicians, and, and, and his talent speaks for itself. So like, you know, the, the orchestra musicians, the minute he opened his voice, uh, opened his mouth and started singing, you know, they're, they're like, oh, okay, this is a serious, <laughs> is a serious artist, you know? Um, so yeah, so working, working I, I think John's music just lends itself very, very well to orchestration and his voice is, I, I'm never going to, swamp his voice you know his voice is always going to come through which Mm. which which, but that's something i worry about when i'm orchestrating for other people sometimes it's just like if you if you overload the orchestration the voice isn't going to cut through um or it just can't you have to balance quite carefully you know the depth of the orchestration with the quality of someone's voice but john can take take a lot of orchestration so um yeah that's what makes it exciting
0: (laughs) (laughs) amazing well I love the stuff that you've uh I mean everything that you've done with him they're all like amazing tracks like I think I listed some when I interviewed him I listed some of the tracks that were were, that had amazing string sections and he was just like oh that's just Fiona Bryce she's amazing
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of him well I mean they're his songs you know but yes he he gives he gives me a fairly blank canvas, actually, John. I mean, it's not like, you know, he, he he doesn't micromanage, which is wonderful. I mean, some, you know, if there's something he doesn't like, of course, he'll say. But but in general, he lets me just go for it. And I, I think you get the best results that way. I think um, when I have worked with us in the past uh, where people get very, very fussy about what they do and don't want the strings, and they have a very much a preconceived idea of what they want strings and brass to do, which is fine because it's their song, but sometimes the orchestra can do things they're not aware of, you know? And Mm. um, yeah, I I prefer working with artists that give me a bit more free reign.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's so much nicer to have that sort of uh, unrestricted, space to do your thing in a project isn't it in a creative project
1: yeah and i think i you know there's a responsibility there i mean i've got to be respectful to the artist's song it's not me you know it, it, there's a difference it's not me going oh look what i can write you know that's not important um what is important is that i'm serving the song in the best way possible and i just have to use my imagination to, to take that to another level to enhance what's already there or maybe bring something out in the track that the artist hadn't quite, you know, maybe, maybe hadn't had taken for granted or hadn't quite noticed was there. I mean, that can happen sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to have that space to, to to play sonically with with stuff. And obviously, playing with an orchestra is a pretty big palette. So, um, yeah, Amazing. I
0: like. yeah, I love the stuff you've done with John. But um, that's just only one name in a whole list of other names on my piece of paper here, which includes. <laughs> Liam Gallagher, Robbie Williams, Kelly Jones, Jay Z, Kate Nash, Lanterns on the Lake, Sugar Babes, Mark Ronson, Beyonce, Jarvis Cocker, Ariana Grande. There's still more names to say. I know. Have you got
1: Anna Calvi in there? Anna Anna. written down there. (laughs) No, I really, I like the stuff I've done with Anna. That's um, you know, I enjoy that stuff as well. Again, she's someone whose whose voice, you know, you you can't dominate that voice. You can you can really really go for it on the strings front for her. So. yeah, yeah that no I've been fortunate. Um I don't know we've done a couple of albums together. I just I think we have quite similar so she she played a little bit of violin as well so she has she has some knowledge there about you know about what's what's possible and she has some idea you know she normally has ideas that she fairly fairly clear ideas actually about what she wants on the track but then every now and again yeah there's a there's a there's a more of an open open section where she's like I don't I don't necessarily know what I want to happen here but you know that's that's when I get to play around with with sounds and stuff, um, but I just really like her music, and I and again, I just think it it, it lends itself very well to orchestration. I don't, and I, I never feel limited when I'm working on tracks like hers. They're they're very, they're pretty epic, you know, quite cinematic.
0: Yeah, wow. amazing. I do. Yeah, I I'm a six music fan, so yeah, she's someone that I've experienced through six music.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, as yeah. Well she's as... a pretty astounding vocalist live. I mean, she's well, she's a very handy guitar player as well. But I think she's uh, yeah, I think she's. I don't know. I think I think more people should be listening to her.
0: <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, that's we well, we've, we've made that known. So yeah, we're listening. <laughs> I did also pay, written, pay attention, people. <laughs> pay attention to me Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did also. There's uh, yeah. Also Kanye West is another name that's on that list. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what,
1: a, what a guy. <laughs> yeah that was I mean that was quite early in my career I did some orchestrations for for the late orchestration uh DVD from Abbey Road and again this was through a fixer that's another example of being booked through a fixer who had taken on the job but she needed some help with um with the orchestration so I ended up doing a lot of the scoring for it and it was interesting and I I, might I don't I'm not I don't I don't know the guy well you know we just worked with him at that time and I toured with him a little bit at that time but I mean to me there was definitely like a pre gold digger post gold digger kanye <laughs> pre gold digger he was kind of all right to be around quite fun and had some musical ideas post gold digger he was i don't know he'd he'd, he'd uh, you know he'd gone to a different level <laughs> yeah, he, he was in a different himself. very much in a different space yeah yeah um, and it was it seemed <laughs> to be
0: diplomatic way
1: it. <laughs> it seemed to be much less to do with the music and much more to do with shopping but um yeah, I mean, I, it was a, I've was only had limited experience with him, you know, I just, uh, I just think it's a shame when, I, I mean, I think he's someone that, I'm not sure that the celebrity has necessarily been great, good, good to him. <laughs> so I think when he was, when he was hungry for the success, you know, he was, he was perhaps an easier person to get to work with, but who knows? He hasn't called up recently. I don't know. He might be great <laughs> to work with right <laughs> now.
0: Uh, yeah high contrast uh a drummer bass producer that i interviewed a few weeks ago he worked with kanye west and i completely forgot to like mention it so i was like <laughs> i need to make sure i mention this one because that is like an interesting <laughs> thing for people to listen he's an to.
1: interesting character for sure you know
0: <laughs> yeah um but i also really liked your stuff with kelly jones that solo yeah. album that you recorded together
1: i I'm was a, very quickly
0: um, recorded wasn't it
1: reasonably uh yeah so is this the one so we've done a couple of things recently so um the one that we did his solo album only the names have been changed yeah you really love that yeah yeah and I I didn't know Kelly very well then I was I was someone had recommended me for that job and and I went in and did the job and 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 it was it was a bit weird because obviously you know he's quite a big big star and 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 um I don't know if I was intimidated by him I'm not sure I I just we we didn't have a I didn't feel like we had an immediate connection but we, we musically it went really well but then two years ago I think I was asked back to perform with him live because he wanted to do a solo tour and then we just got on great you know like 10 years I guess 10 years apart ten, both of our lives had been been through 10 years of change and um and we, yeah we just got on brilliantly and uh I really enjoyed touring with him and we, we performed quite a few of those songs and um it was a very very positive experience and, and I, have, I have massive respect for him as a as a performer he, he really held those shows vocally uh, it, it, amazingly. The show, the show's really exhibited a different side of his vocal uh, capability from just the stereophonics kind of stuff that you might be familiar with. Um, and I, yeah, I'm really kind of hoping we get to do some more stuff like that. He, I, I, it was really enjoyable touring with him. Yeah.
0: Um, it's, and, and all this, the songs are quite ambiguous, aren't they? In terms of yeah. content. they're about like, uh, like they're just names. Of, of
1: All of them are, all of them that are on that album. Was. They were all named after, after women. I mean, you know, I don't know if they're fictional or factual. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, that was the idea that it was 10, 10 song. I think it's 10 songs named after, after different women, but it brought, yeah, some of them were quite dark and sinister. And I liked that. That's something that you, it it was something he, he wouldn't have been able to do with stereophonics. And also the songs were a lot more intimate in, in, in the production. And, and, you know, um, there was just three of us on stage performing and um, yeah. It was it was it was really good. I think I think it really again it just really showed him to be a real consummate artist. And we do, we've done some other recording. I can't really talk about it because it's not out yet. But we we've, we've done some other recording. And I and I got oh, nice. I got to do a, tra- a track with Stereophonics as well on on the back of that. So that was cool. Oh, amazing! But, but yeah, I think people i don't think you get to stay in the industry at a level of that success if you're an asshole do you know what i mean <laughs> people get very tired of you very quickly and mm-hmm. and um <laughs> so the people that have endured for me are the people that you know it's it, it's a, you're always like god these people are cool you know these are really nice, nice people. people yeah yeah, I it totally matters
0: hear
1: that. <laughs> it really matters
0: I mean, Um, yeah, people are sick of me saying this now, but the the, the most successful people that I know in the industry are, like, the nicest, the most open, the most, like, not necessarily laid back, but they're, you know, they're not pushy in any way. They let you do your thing. And, yeah, I just think that's one universal character trait that just, like, comes to the top of the surface is just, like, be nice. Yeah. And it it, it it
1: shouldn't be be difficult to do that, but... um... I think I think once you've got to a certain level of success, you 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 know, you don't have that much to prove. People know your success is kind of, you know, c- consolidated. Um, and so that perhaps makes it easier, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's yeah, my experience with Kelly and John is the same. It, you know, it's, it's just like these people are gracious and intelligent and uh, warm and funny. And that is important. And I think that comes true in the music as well.
0: Definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, with that for John, 100%, you know, yeah. such a GMF, for example, is just such <laughs> yeah. a great self-deprecating song. Yeah, exactly. Thing, like the greatest <laughs> and like the te- most worst person. I, I love that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, also your, I liked the concept behind your postcards from album, um, mm-hmm. all different places around the world. Two, was it 2016 that came out?
1: That came out 2016, yeah. And I, yeah, um, yeah. I it, it was... Uh, yeah these are these were notes the kind of musical notes that I'd been making not all onto with placebo but some of you know most of it because I was traveling so much um I was away from home so much it was like the the ideas would come in a in a a hotel room or in a you know and I just have to make sure I've noted them down um so yeah that that record was mostly about about that about not trying to document so like postcard from Paris isn't supposed to be it's not supposed to represent the city of Paris but it just represents how I felt when I was there um so it's kind of like an emotional postcard rather than a a, a, you know a landscape one but um yeah I didn't um I I was actually really surprised that I mean pleasantly surprised uh when Simon Raymond said he wanted to release it because I I've known Simon for a long time um and I just sent it to him as a you know, oh, I've been doing this. I've been doing these tracks. I Thought you might like to listen to them because they were instrumental. First and foremost, I didn't think it would be something that Bella Bella would, would be interested in. But actually, he he loved it and said he'd release it. I, I was I was just so delighted. You know, it was a real it, it was really really a pleasant surprise. Um,
0: yeah, they're beautiful pieces.
1: I think my so on my next record for Bella, I'm, I'm the next record is it, it's it's a similar kind of musical mood but i am actually singing on the next record as well um and it's a sort of a next next step on so i feel like that fits more with the label somehow because it's you know there's there's vocals on there as well but yeah postcards was really i I was really happy that that came out and um the only complicated thing about it was was trying to tour it because i i then had to learn how to play it live it's like i didn't have a massive tour budget or anything and really i need a string quartet and a pianist to do that album properly but I had to work out how on earth I could perform some of it on my own. So I I got into um, like live looping with pedals and it was something I was interested in anyway, but I was like, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work out how I can play some of these tracks on my own in, a, in an entirely live context, no backing tracks, no nothing. So um, yeah, I devised, I sort of devised a set where um, I could do that. And and that was a real, yeah. I had to push that, you know, it's one of those things where you just have to step up. It was like, I have to push myself to do this. Actually. I don't know if I can do it, but um and then and now I really enjoy performing like that and I just I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do the next record now because I, <laughs> I can use I can use yeah new challenge I can use I'm definitely going to need another pair of hands on stage but um I can do some of that live looping but I'm also going to need to sing um so yeah I'm going to need to to, to involve one possibly two more people I think for that oh, cool. but, um, yeah but yeah I think It'll be building on that sound
0: world anyway. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to it. I listened to it again last night and I listened to it before um, a few times as well. And um, yeah, it's quite, what got me last night was like how it's quite sort of, I guess in the electronic world, you'd say some, some of it was like iconic, but it doesn't really seem like that was an appropriate way of putting it for, for the, your pieces of music, but like some <laughs> amazingly, sometimes haunting sort of pieces. And um, yeah, you've really captured I-
1: I'd I'd like to think it's melodically strong. I think that's the thing that a a lot of contemporary music shies away from melody in in terms of the classical, avant-garde classical world. Anyway, you know, melody hasn't been very fashionable for a while. Um, Mm. But for me on postcards, it was important that there was melody, you know, that there was something that someone could sing if they wanted to. Um, So they can sing the the melody of Glastonbury or, or, um, I don't know, Verona or whatever. And I think that's, that's important to me in in my music is to maintain that kind of melodic um feature well, it's not even a feature I mean it's integral really isn't it but yeah uh, but yeah I just I just noticed that quite a lot of people write seemingly without melody and I find that weird but.
0: <laughs> that is a bit weird why do you think <laughs> that might be
1: well I know in the in the classical world it's because it became very unpopular from like the 70s onwards to, 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 in terms of orchestral modern orchestral stuff but I think it's come I think it's coming coming back around now you know I many other other brilliant people like Max Richter right he writes fantastic melodies and textures and you know it's uh niels Fromm as well yeah, um I, I think Nils it's Nils it's coming it's coming back round it, you know there's been quite a quite a renaissance in sort of contemporary classical music over the last decade and I, and I feel that Erlen Cooper is another person that does it brilliantly um you know using o- o- orchestral approaches but but really, sometimes you're playing. You're kind of merging it with song structure as well. And I, I'm, yeah, I'm just interested in that. that that's that's an area of music, and that, and that's what my next record is about. Anyway, is that, that that kind of the blend of those worlds. So the Ooh. sort of the orchestral and the songwriting. We'll see if I've done it successfully or not. I'm sure people will tell me.
0: Oh, they'll definitely. tell you you <laughs> They'll have the an part. opinion on
1: it. Oh, exactly. God, oh, they'll have an opinion.
0: <laughs> cool oh yeah you put yeah that, that was one of the things when you were talking about your loop pedal that there is a video of you performing in brighton pavilion mm, yeah with the loop pedal
1: yeah yeah i had to get special Which, permission like, to do that yeah. yeah um yeah i mean that was actually a i was actually just there to do a photo shoot and i and i had all my kit plugged in just because it felt like you know i might as well plug it in well otherwise it looks a bit weird if it's took to mine um and then i just started playing and it was the 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 building, the pavilion wasn't open to the public yet, but some it was early in the morning, and some of the staff members were there, and I was playing, and they just sort of started wandering in to listen. <laughs> so I, so I played. So I thought, well, I'll play a piece. So I played Verona, and um, amazingly, the guy that was doing my photos, he just captured it on video, and I, <laughs> it wasn't planned at all. He was, he just. Oh great! Yeah, so I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't supposed to be doing a concert in there or anything, but I was quite pleased he did capture it because. Um, yeah that's the kind of that's exactly the kind of presentation of the tracks that I like
0: yeah and I think you you really were you really are very accomplished on the loop pedal there I'm getting pretty
1: good at it now I mean it, the thing is it's fraught with danger isn't it it's like if you get it right ro- if you get the loop wrong oh the horror you know it's just <laughs> but then that's part of the fun of life performance I suppose I mean I know that I could be doing it on Ableton or you know there's many other ways I could be doing it it would be on much more secure and perhaps reliable way but um I've just gone with the The (laughs)
0: analogue. Well, interestingly enough, the interview that's going out tomorrow uh, is with a loop artist who is a female loop artist who won a national competition in America. And she ended up like, um, yeah, she's done like demos for Boss of their new loop pedals. There is a new loop pedal out. The RC505 has a Mark II that's just come out. Oh, I'm interested in that. Called, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Work for a website called Sonic State, so um, uh-huh. I know about all the stuff that's been released, or I should do. Um, yeah, and the, so the new RC 505 has just been announced, and everyone's going crazy about that. So that might be worth something. looking I to. would have a look
1: at that. Yeah, definitely. As I said, I've got to, re- I've got to revisit my pedal board for in <laughs> in advance of this new album. So I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need to buy some new gear for sure. Um, so. But it is a boss pedal that I use actually. So the RC. I'll see three, is it?
0: It's red. Red one. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, um, nice. two track. Is it two track one? One track? I don't know. Actually, I mean, I just, I know what my foot does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's DC, the main thing. DC3? I don't know. I, don't, I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? <laughs>
0: That's okay. They, they all do basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, is there anyone, Fiona? is there anyone who is like, who's who you wanted to like shout out along the way, who's helped you in your career that maybe... Yeah, has 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 helped you get to where you are.
1: Yeah, well, I have to I have to thank Simon Raymond from Valley Union to be honest because he I met him in my I don't know twenties when I was playing with a band called Tram and he I was doing some arrangements for them and we recorded at Eastcote and they invited Simon along as a guest sort of bass player and um, he he just I, I guess he saw something in what I was doing and um, and and he um, he started asking me to do violin for various belly union bands and i mean that's a relationship that's carried on to this day and obviously to me now releasing my own stuff on on the label and i really feel and also simon's a hugely well connected person within the industry and very well respected um and he's recommended me for quite a few gigs and things that have gone on to be pretty important so yeah i mean he's and, and i know i'm not the only person that feels like there's a lot of people would thank simon mm. for, for his care and attention you know yeah he's pretty important um
0: awesome. I'm proud to be in the city where Bella unions
1: are you in Brighton yeah I lived in <laughs> I lived in Brighton for five or six years and I miss it actually oh, that's um, cool! yeah, yeah it. it's wonderful wonderful place I'm sure there's other people I should uh, yeah there's other people I should thank but but uh Simon's kind of the number one link through a lot of a lot of the work that I've done oh cool
0: amazing Yeah. Um, And also, yeah, finally, um, are there any is there any mantra that you have uh, profound or otherwise (laughs) that you that you yeah, that sort of helps you in your life?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know about my life in general, but um, a good friend of mine, uh, I was I was when I I was really anxious about some performance. I can't remember what it was. Uh, And a friend of mine just said to me, yeah, don't forget to enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's like just remember don't forget to enjoy it and that stuck with me a lot and if I'm like if I'm conducting a string session and things are getting stressful or or uh, I don't know whatever I'm doing uh, I, and if I feel like things are getting tense or I'm feeling anxious or whatever I just have to remember that it's like you're in a this is a good place this is what you wanted to do you know <laughs> just step back look at the people in the room and remember to enjoy it and that and, and the other one is a, another friend of mine lizzie ball a, a violinist uh, she said just just remember it's it's only music in rooms that's that's all it is <laughs> it's, it's only ever just music in rooms that's it you know and i think <laughs> i just thought that was a brilliant brilliant way to just like de-escalate pretty yeah, much everything yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly
0: that's amazing it is just that, isn't it? That's <laughs> it's it
1: is. just music in rooms not a big deal get over it um <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah cool. they're probably they're not exactly the most profound ranchers in the world but they're kind of funny
0: <laughs> yeah they, yeah they don't have to be I think they're just yeah they like yeah they don't two nice ones there it's nice to get a couple <laughs> um awesome well thanks very much for speaking to me today Fiona oh it's been a pleasure Chris thank you it's been really nice um and oh, yeah we could have got into a, a myriad of other things uh you have an amazing career uh are you yeah it's just really admirable all the things you've done and the things that you'll continue to do
1: well thank you i think you said that you people consider you to be one of those people that sort of like connects connects people and i and i feel like i'm yeah. i feel a bit like that sometimes it's like i'm you know if if you drew like a, a family tree of bands and artists and stuff it'd be surprising how many times you know i'm i'm kind of in there somewhere <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in a way that people don't know about but um but yeah it's 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 quite nice isn't it to be i don't know just to have links with so many different different people
0: it is and to be to be proficient at all those things as well you know it's um some people yeah it's amazing to have such a breadth of of um skills to be able to (laughs) do all these things it's pretty admirable
1: it's hard work (laughs) no it's good it's been hard work now it's good yeah (laughs)
0: <laughs> amazing well yeah i look forward to a new album when is when is, yeah, that, t- is that is that due for release is there, is there any sort of autumn it's going
1: to be autumn i don't have a i don't have an actual date but yeah um i think i i wanted it to be spring but i just don't think that they can do it on the schedule so i'm okay with autumn but i'm going to try and do some live stuff um beforehand and obviously a single will come out beforehand and um it'll be out before the end of next year that's all i can <laughs> that's that's my kind of like that's what i'm promising myself so yeah and i've got a really cool uh, yeah i've got some cool artwork and stuff to go with it that i'm pretty happy about that's why i'm just excited i want to get it out because i'm you know excited about it but i just have to be patient
0: <laughs> yes yeah yeah i'm excited too because your last one was amazing and uh, yeah, thank cool. you look forward to this one <laughs> thanks great very thanks much. very much for speaking to me you doing it?
1: no problem Chris. thanks take care say hi to brighton for me
0: Oh, I love to be with Fiona, what an amazing person. Uh, yeah, we uh we had a really really great chat and she has the most unbelievable breadth uh in her career that I've I've ever known to be honest. Um really open and candid about her career and how she's got to where she is and where she's going yeah an incredible incredible talent and uh, it's it's quite admirable that she admitted to sort of feeling like a misfit in being so super creative um that she can almost do anything she wants uh yeah do check out her album on Bella Union which will be out next year so on the show next time we've got an absolute legend in the music production world and a quote unquote the nicest man in the music industry. Um, he's Grammy nominated, he's remixed for some huge artists and I'm really proud to say he's also a friend of mine. Um, yeah, really nice episode coming up so I look forward to that. Uh, please donate if you can, you can donate via PayPal or via like Ko-fi. Uh, all comments and shares and likes are gratefully received. Uh, Thank you once again for listening. I'm Midyera and I'll see you again soon.